Hey, Internet. Welcome to Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. J.D., will there be learning? Yes. Will there be science? Oh, yes. <laughs> will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Absolutely. <laughs> Hi, George. Hi. Uh, I'm so tired. You look thrivy. <laughs> You oh do actually, goodness. your hair is looking really good right now, actually. Yeah, it has that like fourth day wash. That's somehow, a good day. Somehow it looks better than the first day. No, that's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good day, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. I feel like I'm bringing even less energy than usual. <laughs> Ooh, I'll bring extra. <laughs> This is how partnerships work. I know, I know. I'll I know I'm, like, like, usually the one who's, like, overpowering uh, in this are. dynamic. I'm so. honestly, like, ugh. We're going to have to so switch off. So overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, we'll trade off this week. And I'll just give you some, like, yes, mama, queen, hunty. <laughs> I'll just really serve, like, Perfect. gay, token, uh, you know, homosexuality for you. I love For that. your nerve. It's for my nerve. For my nerves, though. <laughs> Yeah. For your nerves. That is actually appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how you doing? I'm okay. Getting ready for like a, a work trip. Uh, we have an announcement actually. Yeah, we do. We so do. I am, yeah, I'm going to be out of the country for like a little over a week. So we're recording this episode, which will be super good. And then we are. after that, what are we going to do, JD? Next week, we have a very special guest host, Miles McKenna, who is a uh, an activist, an advocate. Uh, he is a star of the internet in so many ways. He's an actor, and he is a trans icon. And so he is going to come on. You heard him, actually, last week. He was our commenter. Yes. He's going to come on, and he's going to guest host. I don't know what movie he's going to be picking. Uh, and so he's gonna swap and uh, and and pick the movie, and I'm gonna guess it, and then we're gonna, you know, go in. I am so excited. I'm, I'm gonna be like a, you know, one of your biggest fans, and I hope I don't lose a, my my job. Can you imagine <laughs> if you got fired from the podcast you invented? <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't I be know, mad if you. Did I know such a that your self critic can imagine that, <laughs> uh, and I need you to know it's not. It's gonna actually happen. what I imagined immediately. Uh, yeah, it's actually the very first thought I had, but thank you for making it real for me. Yeah. No, I'm really excited. Uh, you sent me like a, a video of him, like he had memorized our entire intro. Yeah, yeah, he sent so, a video where he'd memorized the, the intro. I love that. Technically so, it was the old intro, so he right. so that that's even better because you know that he like went deep. So yeah. like, he, like it was just in there. Yeah. It was in his brain. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a diehard fan. He's um, ready. He's ready. He's ready. He's he is well prepared. He has done his ten thousand hours and uh, is ready to be his own expert. Honorary Doctor Miles McKenna will be here next week. I am so excited. Yeah, same. But we will before be then, you. yes. Well, of course, obviously. Duh. Um, well, we still have one more. I get to choose this week. 
Yes, you do. So we can hop into that now. Yeah, please. Okay. I chose something. I wanted something fun this week. No, um, I hate fun. Yeah, like I wanted to really mix it up. Let's do something um, serious. <laughs> uh, yeah, just kind of like a little bit more lighthearted. But anyways, this movie is from 2015. Okay, more recent. Look at us. Yeah, I'm trying to widen my uh, horizons. Versatile. Uh, the tagline is very obvious, so I'm you're gonna know it. Um, Great. I love knowing things, but now if I don't get it, you've really set me up. Well, then you'll just be like me every other week because that's what I do constantly. <laughs> to be fair, last week I told you guessed it wrong, but you had a better guess than the right guess. That's true. That's very kind of you. You're so generous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the tagline. Meet the little voices inside your head. Oh, it's inside out. Yeah. This is a good one. I mean, this I love that you picked this. This was actually one of the first movies we even like talked about possibly doing when we like imagined this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um I was like, is it too on the nose? Like, is it too obvious? But I actually feel like there's a lot to explore and talk about and yeah. kind of like share with listeners and um because this movie I think does such a good job of like talking about you know different emotional states and um there's all these like fun like not theories but analysis on kind of like how these different emotions manifest in these different characters and um the drivers right who's in that middle console Mm -hmm. seat um so i'm excited to talk about that and kind of link you know behavior to um those those emotional states or those yeah characters yeah um, and also memory. There's a lot of like interesting stuff about memories. So, There's a lot of interesting stuff about memories. There's a lot of stuff about development and the ways in which your emotions sit differently at different times in your life. Yeah. Um, very cool movie. I also just think this is a really important movie yeah. for kids and families. I just love, um, I love the message. I haven't actually seen it since it came out, but I think this came out did we see this maybe even together in Miami? No. I actually saw this with my sister because she is a very, like, big um, – who makes this? Pixar? Yeah, it's a Pixar. Uh, she's, like, huge into Pixar and all the Disney movies. So I hadn't seen it. I somehow missed it. And then she made me watch it with her when she was visiting me in Miami. Nice. Um, so, nice. Yeah. So I've only seen it that one time, but I loved it. And I was just thinking, like, what movie do I feel like watching? Putting myself first, you know. The It One. Um, Like I do. Let's watch The It One. But yeah, so I'm excited for this one. I think it'll be really interesting and, uh, you know, it it definitely lends itself well to kind of what we do. But I think we can still, like, put a cool spin on it. Yeah. Very excited. Yeah. And I hear our outro music coming on in, so I guess we better get to watching it. Let us do it. Let us do that and come back and blow your minds. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll see you soon. See you soon. Are back and I just watched that whole movie. Um, 
This, I mean, as psychologists especially, I just feel like yeah. this movie is so good. It's um, so good. I cried repeatedly. Oh, yeah. It's it's very emotional, unsurprisingly. But, you know, I, I think, too, like, it's just so, like, I think about it all the time. It's actually become yeah. sort of like a model in my brain of, like, what do I yeah. think my emotions are doing? It's really stuck with me. Yeah. I think it's so important. I mean, I was raised in a very, like, joy-dominant culture Mm. um, where, like, you're really expected to be happy a lot and that, like, it's not okay for you to share non-happiness. Like, you know, anger, um, sadness, like, don't – they're not polite emotions. Mm -hmm. They're not appropriate to, like, bring into a room Mm -hmm. or a space or to share. And so, like, I remember seeing this and being like, dang – yeah. Oof. I think this this movie is like incredibly powerful for making space for emotions. I think that was like one of the biggest uh like concepts I got out of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's so complicated and I I will say one of the things that I was I thought I would do very different research than I did. Like I really like thought I was going to go in on like dialectics or something. Anyways, should we Scummarize this. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. Um, what happened? Okay, so the movie opens on um, Riley and her parents. Uh, they like have a really cute life in Minnesota, and uh, but they pack up and they're moving to San Francisco. And you see, yeah. uh, it kind of the movie goes back and forth between what's happening uh, with Riley and the people around her. And her kind of inner emotions, who seem to be at this kind of control center in the brain, um, bringing up memories. There's a lot of, yeah, memories, like aspects of her personality. Um, There's coordination that's going on in terms of getting her to respond the right way. Um, They, like, impact her behavior. They impact her mood. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we see this fun kind of insight into what is going on in in Riley's head um, in terms of how she's getting through her life. So they moved to San Francisco. The dad seems to be stressed about some kind of venture. Um, The mom is a little bit stressed too because their stuff isn't arriving and they have to sleep in sleeping bags on the floor. Um, And, you know, the the mom kind of... uh, puts a little pressure, like not on purpose, on Riley to kind of stay happy, stay stay their happy girl because everybody's so stressed, especially uh, her dad. Right. So um, then she starts at a new school. Um, she's trying to stay happy. You see the inner workings in her mind, like choosing happiness, like joy staying in charge. Um, right. And right. then uh, she goes to school, introduces herself, actually gets emotional yeah. while she's talking about it because sadness kind of creeps in um, and, you know, kind of overtakes her response to this yeah. question and, and colors it. Um, and Literally. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the point where Joy is kind of like had it, right? Because yeah. she's now impacting core memories. Um, there's this like little special like cluster of core memories and they're all yellow they're all joy 
Um, yeah. And because of this kind of traumatic experience at school where you're crying in front of people <laughs> that you just met, um, which is, you know, like a, a yeah. stressful experience. Um, they now see that there's like a core memory that's being created that's blue, that's sadness. Yeah. Um, and that kind of makes joy like kind of lose it. Um, it makes all of them lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's uh, there's five five emotions that are at the helm. So there's joy, who seems to be kind of in charge. Um, there's yeah. sadness. There's fear. There's disgust. And then there's anger. Um, and so, yeah, at that point, joy is like trying to like keep out the, the blue memory and keep all the happy memories in. And, you know, chaos ensues and she kind of gets sucked up into one of the tubes. Right. With with uh, sadness, and they go yeah. into the brain. Yeah, all the memories fall out. Mm-hmm. Joy is freaking out. Doesn't want sadness to touch any of them because she'll turn them blue. And yeah, she gets in trying to prevent it. She and sadness all get sucked up into this like tube mm-hmm. to go into like memory storage. Yeah, and that's what it looks like. It looks like these big like pneumatic tubes. Yeah, yeah. That uh, yeah. they land in this kind of like big. Um, these structures with these little memories in them, and they're you know like yeah, very these personality tall. Personality islands, and there's yeah personality islands. Um, yeah. So then at that point, they're basically on a quest to get back to Central Command because Riley, it kind of interestingly, like she doesn't have the capacity to like be happy or sad because they're not in. Yeah, which I think is like I mean the whole time in Riley's story, right? Is she when happiness and sadness are gone. She's kind of just numb. Yeah, you can see. And, yeah, and I actually really like appreciate the way that this doesn't have like a ratatouille esque kind of vibe, where it's right. like, yes, of course, they're like at the like control panel in her brain, but it's like not so like it, it's not so absurd. Where it's like, oh, mm, I'm happy, mm, I'm sad. Like it's not, it, you know, it really does. Like they do such a nice job mapping this onto reality. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when they're gone she loses her joy and she's and she's not able to feel sadness which i kind of love because i do think for somebody again as i name like myself this is uh something i really relate to and that like sometimes just because you're not feeling joy doesn't mean you even have access to your sadness like you're not it's still gated it's still sort of guarded from you and so i really love that yeah she doesn't have access to either of them while they're kind of gone yeah it makes sense as a, a coping mechanism for like the kind of trauma that she's going through in her yeah. life right now. Um, yeah. She kind of, yeah, becomes numb. Um, so, yeah, then they're on this quest to get back. They meet uh, her imaginary friend who's kind of bopping around in... Bing bong. Yeah, bing bong in her uh, memory. Voice perfectly. I mean, every voice in this movie Every is so perfect, voice, but yeah. But Richard Kind is just unbelievable. He's so good, yeah. 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 Um, so then he's like, oh, I know how to, like, get back to headquarters. Um, and there's a train, a train of thought. <laughs> there's a like, train of thought. There's, like, so many there's fun. So much. Yeah, like, Yeah, there's cute. so many fun little bits, the, like, long-term memory things where they're like, oh, we love this gum commercial, so we always just pop this back up into, into like, and it gets stuck in our head all the time. And, like, yeah. so many little, little things, abstract, the, the like, area of abstract thinking yeah. and, like, but yeah, I mean, it's so much fun. Um, like the, her imagination land. Mm-hmm. She imagines this like boyfriend and they're like, I've never heard of him. I'm in Canada. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. 
It is. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, then they are trying to get back, um, and yeah, they go the, through... the three memories, or the three emotions that are left decide that she should run away and create new core memories, so they yeah. put an action that Riley's going to run away. That's actually anger, they put, right? They actually plug in a light bulb, yeah. like an idea. Anger. So cute. Yeah, it comes up, anger's the one who comes up with it, who's uh, Louis Black. Oh, my God. That's also so perfect. Bill Hader. I didn't realize it was Bill yeah. Hader until I started watching it, and he talked, and I was like, that's Bill Hader. Yeah. Um, also, Mindy Kaling, Mindy so perfect. Kaling, I mean, yeah. and I don't don't even get me started on Amy Poehler. Dang. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they give her this idea. Meanwhile, like, sadness and joy are, like, going through this whole journey together, and their sort of relationship is developing where joy is so dominant and yeah. is so controlling and is so rigid. Um and yeah, so they sort of on this journey more and more. Um, I mean, it, it does end up being Joy who like kind of solves the problem, but Joy's the lead. So, um, you know, they're a white Midwestern family. Therefore, it makes sense that Joy would be the lead. Uh, spoken from experience. There you go. Yeah. As a white Midwesterner. Um, yeah. Heretofore, cut to. Uh, they like resolve. Well, there's the Joy whole. Dis- there's the whole Bing Bong thing. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just feel like this is getting really long. So. No, it's perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then they get like... What happens with Big Bong? So then they are like on the train, but then she goes to sleep or something. I don't know. Something happens where they get kicked off the train. Um, oh, yeah. They, um, they're, they get kicked off the train. They're headed in on the train, but then um, something bad happens with her family. And then she. Oh, and then the island starts breaking down, and then it results uh, in Joy and Bing Bong falling over into another super clever thing, which is when they uh, kind of like delete memories or like we don't need this anymore. They they just like throw stuff over, and it goes into this abyss, and you don't see like any end to it. Um, Yeah. But they go over that that cliff and end up like way down into this pit of forgotten <laughs> memories. Um, yeah. They try to get out. And essentially what ends up happening is that Bing Bong realizes that they both can't get out and he needs to sacrifice himself uh, yeah. to allow Joy to get out. Um, she does. Which, I mean, the loss of childhood innocence is like exactly the, the central theme of this whole movie. Yeah, and this is and to lose this imaginary friend like that. She has to choose like to move forward without him or to not move forward. Right, Um, and this is the part I feel like a lot of people got emotional about uh, with Bing Bong. Yeah, it's not the part that I got emotional about. I get emotional about the emotions parts. Yeah, and this one's not an emotions part. This is like a character part. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, people get real sad because Bing Bong sacrifices himself. He's got his little rocket ship that is powered by the Bing Bong song. Yeah. Uh, and he powers it out and Joy gets out and then Bing Bong is left behind and says, you know, ask her to remember me or something like that. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then somehow they get back to headquarters. I know that she uh, makes well, a so, bridge. Of- so then uh, and because they've fallen in, sadness has now fallen deeply into a pile of sadness. Uh, and oh, the cloud. is now running from Joy because Sadness thinks that everything she touches gets ruined. Joy is now chasing Sadness. Sadness is crying around on a little rain cloud, and Joy manages to stack a bunch of imaginary boyfriends up on each other, bounce off of a trampoline, and then get uh, sat and then on the bounce back up, grabs Sadness off of her cloud, smack into the window. They hop in, 
as Riley is now coming home from uh, the thing. Sadness is the one who's actually able to get Riley to plug into her emotions again because the whole control panel has since like lost all functionality right. as she's running away. They can't get this Sadness idea. Sadness is the bulb. only one who can unlock the idea bulb. Um, and then she decides to get off the bus and come home and forms new a new memory with her family where she says I'm you know I've tried so hard and the thing you know at the beginning the mom says like I'm thank you so much for being like our happy girl yeah we really need you to be our happy girl right now yeah and that sort of you know of course it's a nice thing because the movie works without the car without the like emotional themes Mm -hmm. you know what I mean without the imaginary parts in her brain the movie still works right where it's like you hear this and it's like and once she hears that she's like oh no yeah. How do I handle these emotions? Because I don't, I can't just be joyful about this. Right. But my I, mom I feel and things. dad are telling me. I mean, her dad's so hot that I wonder <laughs> if like that has an impact. <laughs> like he's so attractive. That's Kyle that MacLachlan, by the way. Tra- it's Trey McDougal, right? Isn't that Kyle MacLachlan? From. No, that's Kyle Chandler. Who's Kyle MacLachlan? He's from Sex in the City and uh, is... Kyle, Trey McDougal. The... Um, yeah, Charlotte's Trey first, McDougal. Charlotte's first Trey. Home, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you okay. Go. You, you looked at me like I, I was know, crazy. I know, I forgot. And then I started talking about Kyle Chandler, who's the guy from Friday Night Lights. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Trey McDougal. Okay, sorry, yes. It's fine, you just tried to gaslight me I'm out of my so Sex sorry. in the City knowledge. I know, I should never question that. So rude. Um, Yeah. No, I, I think so. The movie kind of ends there where she's like, uh, learn to reach out when she's not feeling like, you know, she can, uh, she, like being honest with her, with her feelings and sharing that. Yeah. Um, totally. With her family. And then she kind of starts being able to re engage with. Yeah. She re engages. She's able to, and, it's, and she really connects to her parents when they, all three of them are like, we're sad too. Like, yeah. we miss Minnesota as well yeah and like that's like an important kind of moment Mm -hmm. and she's able to connect to them in their sadness and then from there on out like her memories have more than one color to them um they're more nuanced they're more um complex and complicated and the control panel kind of expands and they say they got like upgraded Mm -hmm. um yeah 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 so it's very cute it is, and it's. I, I think it's such a cool kind of way to think about your own emotions in your head. Totally, <laughs> uh, totally. I totally apply, especially when you see the parents' emotions. Oh, my um, God, it's so – and, like, the, yeah, it's so cute. One of the things, like, when I first saw it that people were talking a lot about that you might – that I, like, kind of missed or, like, you kind of brushed past is seeing who's in the center chair um, in both of the brains. And oh, so. Yeah. In the mom's brain, it's sadness that's kind of in yeah. charge. And in the dad's yeah. brain, it's anger. Yeah. Um, and just seeing the way that plays out and the differences uh, between them. Yeah. All right. So why don't we get into some of the research about this? Because there is so much. Yeah, there really There's is. There's so much. Yeah. It's They did research to do this. They did real psych research. They consulted with real psychologists. Yep. So Paul Ekman and Dasher Keltner. Um, to kind I like of, that you say Dr. Keltner instead of No, da- saying, I think his, it's oh, Dasher, right? Oh, I thought you said Dr. Keltner, but you're right. It's like Dacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dasher? Apologies for yeah butchering that. But 
Paul Ekman is someone I've heard of. I've read a lot of his papers totally. um, for my master's thesis. Uh, yeah. Huge emotion researchers. So Huge um, emotion researcher. They did a good job consulting with the right people. <laughs> totally. Um, great job consulting with the right people. So they consulted like five years before this movie came out, um, you know, to essentially get ideas about like what's going to be aligned with the truth, whether it's like, you know, of course this is, you know, a, a fictionalized, romanticized version of emotions, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, you know, fun fact, you don't actually have a little like yellow joy bot living inside <laughs> of your brain. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that um, in in real life, like people's personalities are often sort of guided by a singular emotion, that it is very common to have sort of a um, a leading kind of sense or a leading kind of like emotional stance that most people tend to um, start from. Like as a trait? Yeah. So we know that like it, it is like studies basically say that our identities are defined by specific emotions and that those do shape how we perceive the world and how we express ourselves and how we respond, how we engage, how we live. Yeah. Um, and so within this, like, they do a really nice kind of job. One of the articles I found was by um, uh, Keltner and Ackman, and this is actually a New York Times article that they, like, wrote about, like, hey, let's just sort of, like, chit-chat about what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they actually didn't like was they were, like, uh, sadness in this is actually seen as, like, very, like, um, s- s- slovenly, right? She's very, like, sluggish. She's very, like down she's not particularly energetic Mm -hmm. and they were like "Mm, that's actually one of our bigger like issues they were like sadness is associated with elevated physiological arousal and activates the body interesting is that so okay interesting is that like uh it costs more energy to be sad and that's because i mean well, it says that it's doing so in order to, like, respond to loss. And I think if you think of it as, like, uh, like a quicker, like, reactionary kind of sadness, like, grief loss, like, can be so dysregulating, so oh, activating. Yeah, absolutely. That it's not just, like, the same as, like, mm, mope. You yeah. know what I mean? It's so much more um, profound and so much more, like – and sadness is also – Let I, I sh- we should also name sadness – is not the same emotion as hopelessness, is not the same emotion as despair, is not the same emotion well, as... yeah, that's a yeah. whole other kind of conversation about, um, that actually Ekman and Keltner do not agree on. Oh, um, really? Yeah, about like, what are these core emotions? Um, uh-huh. And then there's also the director, I think his last name is Doctor, which is funny. Uh, oh, for real? Yeah, but... Uh, that's our first name. <laughs> The um, there's also serving the narrative, right, and, and producing a, a film that like makes sense and can be like easily digestible. Um, like you're not gonna make a great movie that has like 15 core emotions up in that control panel. So you know, having like a discrete number of emotions and figuring out which emotions those should be. Uh, Keltner actually doesn't think that they chose the right emotions because he thinks there's other like uh, emotions like love and sympathy and um yeah these these other emotions that are more kind of relational that he thinks are like really core um right. but Ek- ekman is is really um 
you know, has just decades of research into these five emotions, which is anger, fear, disgust, sadness, and happiness. Um, and he actually, in 2016, conducted a survey with like hundreds of other emotion researchers to uh-huh. see like what's the consensus here. Um, and so the um, emotions that did have the most agreement were those five emotions. Um, and then there was some emotions, kind of secondary emotions that had less support. But, you know, the agreement about five emotions, uh, 91% agreed on anger, 90% agreed on fear, 86% okay. agreed on disgust, 80% agreed on sadness, 76% agreed on happiness. Interesting that that's like the lowest yeah. percentage. Um, but then shame, surprise, embarrassment were yeah. also endorsed about 40 to 50% uh, by 40 to 50% right. of these researchers. Um, and then some kind of less support, uh, like guilt, contempt, love, awe. Oh, yeah, awestruck. This was the one that Keltner was talking about. Like, that's, like, such a profound emotion. Yeah, um, totally. Pain, envy, compassion. That's what I feel when yeah. I watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. In two ways. I both feel, like, awestruck, and then I also feel like, aw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great joke. Love it. Thank you. I didn't plan it, but it just sort of came upon me. Gosh. Um, um Anyway, so so yeah, like there was debate even over who should these characters be in the brain that are representing these core emotions. Um, I mean, who would you want in it if you were going to include something else? I do think love, like, was missing. I think this, like, yeah. uh, but I guess if you're looking developmentally, like, uh, possibly, I don't know. Like, I think love and bonding with with other people, like the social kind yeah. of one. I think that's the one that I would. If there's like a sixth one that we could choose, I think that's what I would choose. Yeah, I mean, if this were, if she were older, I think shame would be a big, yes. would be something I'd be thinking about, which is, of course, like a nuance, uh, you know, a much more specific than sadness. Um, shame and embarrassment, right? Like shame, embarrassment. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah, which are similar. Um, uh, Brene Brown defines like guilt versus shame really yeah. nicely. She yeah. says uh, guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am something bad. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those are really like um, important to be, to be thinking about um, the differences and how that sort of impacts us. Um, yeah. Did you look into the the um, sort of the t- the two ways that emotions like organize us? No. This is I think. Go ahead. You can Ackman. <laughs> So Ekman um, sh- shared that organ- uh, that emotions, first of all, uh, organize rather than disrupt rational thinking. So, mm-hmm. co- you know, um, contrary to popular belief that like if you're a highly emotional person, right, that you won't be thinking rationally, um, it's actually the opposite. Um, and I think about this a lot as a clinical psychologist where people were like, you know, I know logically that I'm like whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's like logically, what? I could logically justify genocide like that doesn't right. mean it's right that does not mean it is good that does not mean it is the thing you want to lay out right there's so much that you can logically defend and we do it all the time mm-hmm. um especially i loved uh there's a cute little bit where they like bump over a box when they're on the train of thought and they go oh no Opinion. these opinions and these facts got all mixed up together they look the same and it was like eh, it's fine it happens all the time Which happens all the time um and so what we find is that um you know our Emotions help organize all of our perceptions about the world, the memories, like all of those things. And so we find that like when we're like, but we can use that to help organize us. So when we're angry, 
um, we get more attuned to what is unfair so we can then engage in action appropriately. Um, when, when things like sadness happen, um, you're better able to, um, you know, when you look sad, you're better able to connect to other people because they want to connect to you. You seem like you need uh, something. So this sort of emotion can help um, not only shape our memory, but it helps other people understand what we're going through in order to better connect us and better um, create a more like healthy, holistic view of us. Yeah, I think in that moment, uh, in this survey as well, they talked about like um, surveying like different dimensions that people endure. So like what you're describing is kind of this push pull um, or like approach avoidance or like these kind of the way that they organize different emotional states. There's also valence, which I think we've talked about before, just like positive and negative. Yeah. Um, There's intensity or arousal, right? So um, there are different ways that emotions can kind of be organized and and categorized. Yeah. Totally. Um, It's one of those things that like, and, and I love that this movie really talks about how each emotion has purpose like everything exactly. and I, again this is another thing that in therapy I spend a lot of time doing where it's like oh you're anxious all the time oh you're sad all the time okay great how is that sadness serving you what is it accomplishing because if all you do is think like I am broken therefore I am sad and you think of your sadness as a symptom of being you know disordered then that actually just furthers the this sort of disordered thinking it like drives you further down the well of sadness but when you start to actually think about like what is your anxiety protecting you from right i I work with college students a lot so it's like it's protecting you from looking stupid it's protecting you from failing out of school it's protecting you from disappointing your family it's protecting you from like there's all the ways that your anxiety and your anxiousness is keeping you safe and one of the ones that they give an example of in the article that i read is how um anger it, which we think of as just never good, right? right. It's never okay right. to, to react in anger. But um, what, what studies show is that anger, more so than like a sense of political identity, anger is what moves social collectives to protest mm-hmm. and remedy injustices, yep. right? So what we see is not just political action or an ideological attachment. It really is anger. It's an emotional, injustice. yeah. It is an emotional response and that those emotions have led to every you know civil rights advancement we've ever had, um, and that uh, even things like something like embarrassment, when we like when our faces flush, other people have an empathic reaction to that, which makes them want to forgive us mm-hmm. if we've acted inappropriately, or take care of us if we seem like we're feeling shame. Like it's a way to like silently, which like the evolutionary advantage of blushing. Like I never even thought about yeah, like that's how amazing. blushing is actually serving to let people know that we feel shame I mean, because it's such a silent emotion. Yeah, like I I looked in that too because I thought that they touched on that in the movie like at the end where sadness mm-hmm. is the social cue, right? Sadness is very functional, like from a functional point of view, it helps her open up to her parents and tell them what's going on and be honest about yeah. what her experience feels like in that moment and they embrace her and they provide that support and that's the first kind of mixed memory that she has is she was feeling very sad but then she felt Mm -hmm. so much joy uh i would say love but you know felt joy happiness about the support that she received and um i think they did such a good job of like showing the uh advantage of sadness um and that's like an evolutionary theory uh that you know, depression even uh, can be these honest signals of need. 
um, that can in- increase support from others. And it's a way that we signal to others that we need additional uh, support. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the, the second part of the, of the article is just that it, our emotions organize rather than disrupt our social lives. Mm-hmm. So emotions organize our rational thinking and emotions organize our social lives, right? It's so much more emotions as the complicating factor is a misnomer mm-hmm. and emotions as the organizing factor is so much more aligned with what all the research shows, which I think is very cool. It's like why I cry so much watching this movie because it like just is such a nice like sweet job of being like, yeah, your feelings are so important right now. That scene where sadness is talking to Bing Bong. Yes. And and Joy's trying to like cheer him up and sadness is like, wow, you you guys seem like you had a really nice time together and yeah. then that ended. Yeah. That sounds really, really hard. And just is like, and he's so much more responsive to her. And Joy like starts to kind of cue into the fact that sadness might have something to offer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sweet. You see Joy reckoning with that throughout the movie is like, oh, wait, this person is not just a nuisance, or this person, this, you know, uh, emotion is not just this nuisance that I have to put up with. This is a critical part of Riley um, critical. That, that needs to be honored. Yeah. Yeah. Sadness exists to clarify what has been lost. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. I am, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I one of my more um, special uh, experiences that I had once was working with a client who was really religious and feeling like their sadness was not, okay because their job was to feel joy their job was to feel gratitude their job was to feel you know because god loves them therefore they should feel loved Mm. and we spent a lot of time you know working from like a spiritual lens of like okay god gave you sadness what purpose did god give this to you like for what purpose right Mm -hmm. like what why would god give you this emotion if you weren't supposed to feel it sometimes if it was if it's if it's bad to feel it at any time and it was so powerful to like really spend time in like why would I be blessed with sadness Mm -hmm. why would I be gifted this emotion it was really cool work to do yeah with someone um I've gotten to do that a few times with some some different folks and it's really special because we don't have good language uh, in the sort of broader zeitgeist of like how to be sad. What's the right way to be sad? What's the right amount of time to be sad? Um, what's like the right, you know, degree to which we are allowed to feel sad? Yeah. And, you know, it's always this like there's, I mean, we've talked a lot about like intergenerational trauma, about like the concept of like parents saying like, what do you have to be sad about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like not helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make the same argument for anger as well, right? Totally. Yeah. These totally. these negative emotions are important. Yeah. They're they're all equally equally valid yep. and they're all equally valuable. Mm-hmm. They all have these different benefits. Um, you know, and and I actually looked into one of the things that I well, the the main sort of separate thing off from this broader emotion research that I did was looking into the the relationship between like gender and emotions mm. both like how we 
um, regulate emotions, but also how we express emotions. Because, um, you know, obviously, like we we sort of named like depression or anxiety as like the like overabundance of sadness, overabundance of fear, right? Would be you know in in terms of inside out, mm-hmm. uh, sort of an overabundance leads to what we would consider like disordered. Behavior, you know, emotional disorders, mood disorders is what those two would be called, right. or um, psychopathology, you know, mental illness mm-hmm. even. Um, but also there are things like borderline personality disorder, right, which is sort of an overabundance of each of these emotions uh, f- sort of felt too strongly and only one at a time, mm-hmm. right, is sort of how I would think of borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then things like eating disorders, alcohol abuse, these are all tied to emotional regulation. We talked last week about eating disorders and the, and the need for control, mm-hmm. which again could be sort of in, in the fear-based, um, but also things like binge eating could be sitting in like depression as like emotional regulation strategy. Um, and then alcohol abuse as sort of a um, non-conscious emotional regulation, right? Yeah. A chemical regulation yeah. of your emotions. And so both the ways that we express them can be disordered, but also, like in the case of eating disorders or alcohol abuse, the way that we control them mm-hmm. can be um, disordered, quote right. unquote. Uh, I hope you all hear the quotes every time I say the word disordered and that like, you know, there's a, it's a deeply complicated thing. But um, so there are really interesting um, gender differences in the ways in which a lot of these come up. So for instance, um, women are significantly more likely than men to be diagnosed with unipolar depression. Um, and they're more likely be, to be diagnosed with all of the anxiety disorders except for obsessive compulsive disorder. Hmm. Um, and then as well as eating, uh, eating disorders, women are more likely to be diagnosed uh, and borderline personality disorder. So there's a lot yeah. in what I just said yeah. that is unsaid and unspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, I should name uh, sort of separate from the research that I did. Women are more likely to seek mental health treatment. Yeah. Therefore, women are more likely to be diagnosed. I should also name that in our world, like women's reactions and women's emotions are more likely to be pathologized exactly. than men's. Yeah. So I should also name that like for people to say like, you really need to go talk to somebody. You really need to go. You really need to go. You got to go figure this out. Um, all of this is so much more likely in women. And I think it's very interesting that like the one that they say except in the anxiety disorders is obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's because OCD is one that is much more even. I think it's 50-50. I think mm-hmm. it's like totally even between men and women. Uh, and that's one that like shows up on the outside, right? Like you see it. Yeah, yeah, the compulsions. You see the compulsions, but also like real OCD. Um, and it, we've talked, I think, a little bit about this on the pod. Real OCD is incredibly dysregulating for the person who has it. Mm-hmm. Real OCD is not, oh my gosh, I just love all my pens and pencils to be organized There's by There's a self-awareness. Color. I like to be organized. Yeah, that's actually closer to obsessive compulsive personality disorder mm. where you just have like a personality preference for organization. Um, OCD is obsessions and compulsions that are so pervasive and so dysregulating. They're so frustrating and upsetting. So no one, and in fact, one of the main like cardinal traits of OCD is miserable. Like you are miserable yeah. with what is going on. Yeah. And and yeah, so namely the thing where it's like, oh, well, of course, like everybody who has this or not everybody, but, you know, an equal number of men and women who have this seek treatment, right. basically. Right. Um, 
yeah, I said a million things. So I'm curious, like with just those parts, like what are your thoughts before I get into the the actual like yeah uh, I have a regular I have regulation strategies data too yeah because the other thing I was thinking about is not just like who's assessing um for these different disorders or like looking at that criteria but also like just social conditioning right so what are like the gender yeah. norms like women aren't allowed to be angry but they I guess are allowed to be sad and like you know Boys aren't allowed to cry and like all of these things. Yeah, boys aren't allowed to feel anything except for happy. And anger. And anger. Anger's okay yeah. for, for men, you know? Yeah. And so I, I wonder how much of it is just because like boys and men are like suppressing. There's emotional suppression that's happening there. Yeah, well, so what's happening with boys and so here, here are some of the theories that I found. So one of them is so when doing. Um, lots and lots of research, it's found that women report using more of almost all types of emotional regulation strategies compared to men, mm-hmm. um, uh, which includes rumination, right? So constantly thinking about it so you don't forget about it and you never forgive yourself for it. And then you, you know, rumination, worry, reappraisal. So yeah. an ability to like pause and check in about like, okay, what's actually going on? What really happened? What do I really need? Problem solving, acceptance. Being like, okay, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. How do I move on from it? Distraction. Uh, and then seeking social support, uh, which includes religion within here. Mm-hmm. So women are more likely than men to engage in all of those, which is, uh, and this is true all the way from children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, the thing that, the only coping that men report more often than women is alcohol abuse. Yep. So there you yeah. go. So these, right? It's, so it's these suppression. alcohol use disorders, it's suppression. So what's interesting though is that they're actually saying that um, men, uh, in terms of emotional regulation, men are more likely to engage in what we call like covert or unconscious regulation. Mm-hmm. So men uh, are engaging in this sort of automatic, non conscious emotion regulation um, show that they're not aware of what they're doing or when they're doing it which is why, um, but I, I should also name, so they're not aware of how they're doing it, when they're doing it. Um, and that it also shows sometimes that by women engaging in these strategies and then still not feeling relief can lead to further dysregulation, greater depression, greater anxiety. Um, so it's essentially saying that analysis of one's own emotions can weirdly become maladaptive if you can't find some understanding mm. for your emotions or disengage from them yeah. um, if they're becoming uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And so a woman's greater tendency to engage in this rumination might actually be in part uh, to their greater attention to their emotions and tendencies to see their emotions as meaningful. Yeah. So it's this weird mess, which if you think back to when we talked on uh, Thelma and Louise about like feminist therapy, where it's like, how do you first and foremost separate yourself from the patriarchy in right. order to figure out how to engage with yourself. So I think it makes a lot of sense that the entire world is so built around men that men are able to unconsciously or automatically regulate a lot of these things, but also our entire rubric for what a normal amount of emotional regulation, a normal amount of anxiety, a normal amount of sadness is so based in men mm-hmm. that it's kind of like it, we, we first like – we first must make women anxious and then diagnose them as such. Right. Like it's kind of this like right. weird 
yeah, it's this weird thing. And and I should also name the mean differences though in in emotion regulation are really really small, even if they're st- statistically significant. These are these are studies with like huge 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 numbers. Mm-hmm. So overall, the similarities between men and women when it comes to emotion regulation are are much greater than the differences. Gotcha. And I'll say like as somebody who works with um, mostly like college age students uh, and college age humans. Um, I see about 50-50, uh, you know what I mean? Like I, I see a very similar numbers now. These are, these are you know, studies over the last 100 years basically mm-hmm. that are sort of leading to all of this data when for the last 100 years it's been so much more common. But men are more and more likely to come in for therapy now. They're more and more likely to express emotions, to express hopelessness, helplessness, yeah. like to really start to um, name a lot of this. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. It's like how do you separate uh, true pathology from what how we define pathology, right? Like society tells us what to pathologize. Yeah, totally. Yeah, interesting. Um, Very that. Was there anything else that they talked about in the New York Times article? Because I there's like a whole um, memory piece to this. Uh there. The, the main sort of memory piece that they talk about was just that um, your your emotions shape what you remember of the past and how you feel in the moment would also change how you interpret those memories of the past. Yes. So that, yeah. Um, so that was something that like I learned sort of recently about memory that kind of blew my mind, but maybe this makes sense to other people. But so when you, um, you know, you have an experience you encode it. Uh, so there's this part mm-hmm. of your brain, the hippocampus, that's responsible mm-hmm. for... Um, Looking like a seahorse. <laughs> yeah, for encoding and kind of you know processing and putting these memories into uh, long-term memory. Right. Um, and so you know, you're encoding it, you are uh, like storing it, and then when you retrieve a memory, um, especially we're talking about episodic memories so things about specific events experiences autobiographical memories Mm -hmm. um, which is like Mm -hmm. a a type of episodic memory um, or includes episodic memory Uh, you are reconstructing the event it's it's like time travel and this is actually something that amy poehler talks about in her book which is oh really it's my it's i just i've read that book so many times she talks about how um, she can time travel. She's like, I, there's a whole like chapter on like time travel, um, but basically it's going in your. I wonder if she learned it from doing this movie. That's a whole. I don't know, but um, the book came out right around the same. I know. Time. Um, and so you are technically time traveling because you are pulling. Uh, so you're pulling from sensory memory. So you're actually pulling right. from different parts of your brain. Not all of your brain. Not all of your memories are stored in the hippocampus. There, the hippocampus is more like. Um, and I read this recent study that they um, looked at in uh, in mice where they looked at the hippocampus and did like mapping of it and saw and basically concluded that it functions functions as kind of a directory so it tells you like where the memories are and like where to find them but it's not like where they're stored um, because right. you're if you're you know a, a, an episodic memory and experience you're pulling from okay what what was I seeing? You're pulling that from that sensory memory. What was I smelling? You're pulling that. You're, you know, what was I uh, feeling? What was I tasting? You know, like all of these different sensory parts that make up the experience. Um, And then the emotional part uh, colors like what 
how strongly it's encoded that's one part um it it colors like how you um feel in that moment so your like current emotional state to your point that's what you were saying um Mm -hmm. but you're basically reconstructing this memory from different parts of your brain and then you re-encode it after you've experienced it and it is re-encoded differently from when you retrieved it because you're incorporating your current state so it's like a memory maybe it doesn't necessarily change but like your memories are retrieved and then put back and they're um they're they're kind of you know different each time and you're reconstructing that in your head uh and reliving it yeah i mean this is the entire theory behind trauma therapy Mm mm-hmm is essentially like, and we talked, I think, a little bit about this uh, on an early, early episode. We actually haven't talked about trauma in a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the break. idea of trauma therapy is you sort of take these memories and you look at them again. Mm-hmm. And you choose to sort of reintegrate a new emotional experience onto those memories. Um, not, of course, repainting them with something like joy, but repainting them instead of with fear or shame, repainting them with compassion, repainting them with... Um, disgust for other rather than disgust for self mm-hmm. kind of thing and you really start to like re-encode those memories yeah exactly and so that they don't feel so prickly inside of you you're be- you're better able to sort of reintegrate reorganize them in your brain so that they also don't um, intrude yeah in terms of other experiences other they don't generalize in the same way that they were yeah and I mean trauma specifically is referring to these experiences that have like a strong negative component right like mm-hmm. fear um, and threat right things that are yeah. happening to you and something about the hippocampus in the brain is that it is located very close to the amygdala which is the part of the brain that uh, is responsible for detecting threats and you mm-hmm. know it's in- the four F's yep it's involved in Uh, kind of that fear response and so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like co-located with the hippocampus because you know joy is nice right joy is like having nice memories but fear uh you know threat like the amygdala that's survival and so it is critical that's epigenetics exactly it is critical Mm -hmm. that um you encode that and you remember that and so I thought it was interesting just like even physical structures in the brain reflect that. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Hot take. Brain's pretty cool. <laughs> I loved the like um, the full. It looked kind of like the folds when they are showing like the stacks of all the memories. And it's kind of yeah. like big folds, which kind of looks like the different folds in the brain, which I like too. Yeah, I I mean, in this movie, it's so clear that whoever wrote it went to therapy. Yeah. It's so clear that, like, it is so ba- – it is based in real psychological theory. It's, of course, you know, editorialized and, and dramatized and, and, you know, com- comedyified. It's simplified, um, too, in a really important yeah. way. Like, the islands, those are not – super accurate either no Um, no like the these core components of personality it's not the same thing although i do love it from a childhood perspective where like if you asked an 11 year old tell me about your life it would be like let me tell you about my friends 
and my family yeah. and hockey yeah. and silliness. Yeah. Like, let me tell you about these components of me. This is how I identify me. And I'm sure we could find some level of like personality theory that would sort of where those traits could sort of like load onto those concepts. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very like, you know, they have to crumble one by one in order to. But I will say like, if we're looking at this, which I guess if we're if we were to diagnose Riley, this would be um, if she were to like seek a diagnosis, it would be kind of one of the non-diagnosed diagnostic diagnoses like adjustment disorder, mm. um, where you sort of see her struggling to adapt to something new. And when that struggle happens, the the lights go out in some of her like ability to engage with her friends, her ability to engage in hockey, her ability to feel close to her family. Like those are all symptoms of you know, ad- uh, adjustment disorder with depressive features, mm. right? Where I would be like, yeah, yeah, totally. That's, that tracks. That's cool. Yeah. I think too, like the hockey part, I, my first yeah. thought when I saw it was like, okay, that could kind of make sense um, because of what we were talking about last week with the fusiform face area. So there's like, yeah. when you are have expertise in something, you start to have like groups of neurons be like uh, clustering together, reflecting yeah. expertise in one specific thing. So I saw it and was like, oh, maybe the hockey thing from like a procedural memory point of view, like remembering how to do things. Um, yeah. Although. Pres- I mean, something like psychomotor retardation can be a symptom of um, depression or a depressive, uh, of a mood disorder. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. <laughs> psychomotor retardation is basically just moving more slowly being kind of clumsy mm. like you're it is a psychosomatic uh you know impact of profound sadness mm. um and so it's sort of the physical aspect of um you know just sort of like a cognitive slowing but an actual like physical like motor um retardation and so it uh that if she's real real sad asking her to do something like in a hockey game that she's normally pretty good at like it is possible that she could be fumbly stumbly yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. The um, the procedural memory, like how she would remember how to do stuff, that's in the cerebellum, which is a whole other part of the brain. I mean, one of the one of the main ones, honey. <laughs> so yeah, that I mean that would be inaccurate. It wouldn't be just like off whatever this this like central part of the brain is. The other thing that I thought was interesting is the developmental um, aspect of this. Yeah. Um, specifically like the upgrade of the dashboard at the end or the yes. control panel at the end um, yes. reflects her like really to me like frontal lobe development which helps yeah. to uh, create more nuance in emotions right to even understand what those emotions are name them and like start to yeah. really like create richness to us richness to it because your frontal lobe develops until you're 25 by the way um, but yeah. it's really responsible for Which is why kids don't do drugs until you're 25. Don't do it. Um, but, you know, it's responsible for adding that context to these emotions. Um, and there's a really important relationship between the frontal lobe and the limbic system in terms of how emotions impact right. your behavior. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense, right? Yeah. And that ties right into this, like, regulation strategies, mm-hmm. right? You can be over-regulated, which in this case, like, this this kid is overregulated. Yeah. Joy is working too hard to to regulate and to make sure all emotions are felt, you know, appropriately and to a, the appropriate degree and to this like sort of overly specified um 
amount. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's this movie is also like, I hadn't heard the term when this movie came out, but like toxic positivity. Totally. Is that was I think a mm-hmm. lot about, again, yes. white and Midwestern here. Um, but yeah, that toxic positivity is so real. It's so real, yeah. Yeah, especially yeah. when there's like external pressures to do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. Ah, this movie I is good. I love this pick. Yeah, this is, this is fun because it, it's just like really meaty. I feel like we could have gone yeah. in lots of directions. Um, but yeah. Yeah, y'all, this movie is on Disney+. Plus. It is an hour and a half long. I got to say. It's a delight. Worth a rewatch. Totally. I mean, I just cried. Like, just this, the, the importance of, A, of all, how much these emotions love this child yeah. is really, really special. Yeah. They love her so much. But also just the way in which they really show that even the bad days – matter Mm -hmm. you know like we just have such this like especially as americans we have such a toxically positive view of how we should think about our lives and the idea that like and when i was thinking about it i was like what would my core memories be and i think a lot of them would be sad oh yeah like but that makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint like right how do i protect myself what do i hold on to what what is sort of my my touch point but I also think, like, yeah, they're just, it's so... That's the worst movie, it's though. Really, it's, not, it's not as fun to watch, that yeah. movie. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, although, maybe if there's an Inside Out 2 one day, we try... There's weird, inconsistent yes. relation, I could uh, not information on the internet, I could not figure y'all. out whether there was an Inside Out 2 coming. I, like, started this call with JD being like, it's coming out in June. And then on second Googling, it's, like, Disney fan uh, doc or you know like something like some yeah. like not real Disney wiki yeah dot feet dot yeah. com <laughs> yeah. and so who yeah, knows who knows um I, I mean most likely it's in the works i mean disney is a highly secretive company that drops information when they choose to drop information yeah um so who knows who knows who knows but i hope so i would love it yeah i would love to see one that's a little um a little older a little um, more complicated and maybe inviting in a couple more like shame inviting in some other inviting love and shame in I mean yes you know what I bet they're listening to this so Disney people A of all thanks for finally putting your foot down about the don't say gay bill in Florida um, and B of all uh, we're happy to consult for an exorbitant fee yeah about this movie yeah you're welcome we're not emotion researchers specifically we're not not did read the research that your emotion (laughs) researchers published so i think we're experts too we're not not emotion researchers right yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) my research is crazy (laughs) um anyways i have been dr jd barton and i have been dr joanna whitkin and this has been another gorgeous episode of real psych Follow us on social media. Uh, I will not be here next week. There will be a wonderful co-host, a special co-host with JD. That's true. Miles McKenna will be here. Um, oh, we had some audio. We'll include some next week with Miles. There, we're 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 trying to keep these a little shorter. I know center stage went longity long long, um, but yeah, we'll be back next week. Um, we love you. We love you. I'll be back in two weeks. I'll miss you so much. 
Yeah, and we will cry the whole time. Yeah, but Joanna gets to experience being a listener to Real Psych one time. I know, that's super exciting. I'm going to leave a review. Please. Yeah. Um, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Such a great reminder. Tell a friend. Tell two friends. Joanna's going to be telling all of India. So <laughs> tell a friend. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.